Hey everyone, I'm joining you from a hotel room in Duck, North Carolina. I'm on the road playing music, um, touring with uh, my friend Lo Faber. Uh, he's got a brand new band, um, and uh, we're touring in support of his new album called Claiborne Avenue, um, which I, I recommend that you go to Spotify and search Dr. Lo, D-O-C-T-O-R Lo, and check out this new album, Claiborne Avenue, that we're in touring in support of right now. Um, this is episode four. Welcome to episode four. Um, I'm really excited about this one. I have a really awesome conversation with this incredibly talented singer, uh, songwriter, and producer named Elunia. And um, we get into some subjects that I believe are really important. We talk about things like depression and bullying and um, social pressures and things like that, along with talking about her music and her life. I've decided to forego the typical uh, music introduction by my uh, great friend Jay Durius and uh, instead play some of Alunia's music from her new EP called Deep End. And the song that I'm going to uh, begin the show with is called Tunnels. And I hope you'll stick around to the very end of the show where I'll play another song of hers that I really like called Pressure Points. One more thing I want to mention quickly is there is a way to support this podcast now. Um, if you are following on Spotify or Apple po uh, Podcasts or anywhere else, there is a clickable link at the bottom of the description um, where you could throw in a, a, a couple of bucks if you, if you like what you're hearing and want to support the show. Uh, think of it as a virtual tip jar. So without further ado, here we go. Episode four with my guest, Elunia. Cracks in your voice Make me feel like it's okay If I have some too But I've made the choice Of holding still So my lips can't move Aching my bones And inside joke with myself In a glass case home It's an inside joke My guest today is Alunia. She's an ethereal alt-pop artist, singer, songwriter, producer, and she's joining me today from the beautiful state of New Hampshire. Alunia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to have you. Um, before we start, I do want to just um, let listeners know where they can find you and where they can listen to your music. Uh, you can find Alunia at Alunia Music on Instagram. You can find her on YouTube at Alunia, can find her on Spotify at Alunia, on Facebook at Alunia, um, and Twitter at Alunia Music, and TikTok at Alunia Music. And I hope that you will go um, and, and check her out immediately as soon as this podcast is over and uh, hear her great music. Um, thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And, and you know, thank you again for being on. I, I want to I say just... just just at the beginning here that this is, you know, this is very early in, in my, in this uh, venture here to do this podcast a little bit famous. And in the first 
uh, early stages when I was conceptualizing this, my goal was to to have as uh, as diverse a, a, a roster of guests on the show as possible. You know, just just a sort of wide array uh, of different types of artists, not just uh, singers or uh, composers or or musicians, but but. Um, also producers and engineers and people involved in, in making music and entertainment happen. And I was, uh, you know, so I was doing a little bit of research. I was looking into some different artists and, and people that I might want to have on the, on the show. And I really quite serendip- serendipitously stumbled upon you on, on Instagram. And I decided to, to click on your, on your uh, profile and listened to some of your music and as you know after i contacted you about being a guest i I know i mentioned to you that i listened to one of your songs and i i got tears welled up in my in my eyes like i was immediately moved yeah Um, i thank you so much i appreciate that (laughs) yeah i mean it was it's you write songs that are as powerful as i've heard you know as musical Absolutely, as musical as I've heard, and and so I, again, I, I urge listeners to go and and check her music out as as soon as you're done hearing this conversation because it's really something special. And uh, so I, I want to. There's so many things I want to talk to you about in terms of you know uh, how you how, what your childhood was like and 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 things that were going on and 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 one of the one of the kind of major concepts of this of this podcast really is. What exactly is it that drives us and what exactly is it that leads us to make make a decision, which is really quite a huge decision to to try and do something that we love and 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 to pursue something that we love. Um, so let's 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 go back to the beginning. So you are currently in um, New Hampshire. Is that where you were born? No, I was born just outside of Philly and that's where I grew up. And then I moved to New Hampshire when I was six. Okay. Do you have memories of that? Because, um, I mean, do, did you spend time in, in the city in Philly? Um, I didn't go into the city much, but I did sometimes. And I definitely have memories of living in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that city. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to, to visit there many, many times. And I've really seen every, every single corner of that city from, from the most beautiful and kind of culturally important to the seediest and you know we used to we my band used to play a show but we used to do a residency in 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 philly at this really scary (laughs) venue and uh you know the 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 club owner was always sort of like oh you should have been here last week there was a murder you know (laughs) oh god (laughs) yeah yeah this is how it goes you know but um did you did you grow up in a musical family? Did you have uh, do you have siblings? Did you did you have parents who who were lovers of music or or players of instruments? Both of my parents loved music, but they and they both played instruments. My mom played the piano and my dad played guitar, but neither of them. I think they both would have liked to have been musicians, but they instead settled for being just like passionate music lovers, especially my mom. She like worked for bands and worked in radio and stuff like that. So she was very involved in the music industry, mm-hmm. but it was actually, and interestingly enough, I was just talking to my mom about this recently. 
it was my uncle who her brother who was really into music in the way that I am he was in a band or probably multiple bands and he wrote music he produced music he was like downstairs at 3 a.m drumming and Mm. my mom could never sleep and stuff like that that. (laughs) yeah he was that type of person so I think I definitely got that from him and also my grandmother on my mom's side was a singer like she sang professionally for a while before she got married and had kids so Mm -hmm. yeah um, it's, it's funny because as I have these kinds of conversations, um, more and more, I think about when I was a kid and, and one of the questions that I just feel is a, is an absolutely, it's just a perfect question to ask a, a musician is, you know, did you grow up in a musical family? What, uh, cause there is this sort of mystery to the idea that you, that some, some people just gravitate toward a musical instrument to play or to sing and, and, uh, or to be creative in, in whatever way they, they become creative. And, and there is a lot of kind of science about behind environments and, and, and things like that. And, and so I think more and more about it when I was a kid, I mean, my parents loved music. We had a record player in a base in the basement and, uh, and I would sit there and I would listen to whatever records they had. And that included things like Paul Simon and Bob Dylan and, you know, the Eagles and stuff, but I don't remember my family being an actively communicative musical family. I don't remember having conversations about music. I, you know, I, it was there and I listened to it and I loved it, but did you guys talk, did you and your parents talk about music? Was that something at a young age? Was that something that was on your mind when you were young? Um, I think definitely with my mom, my dad, left when I was young, but like we have a good relationship, but, um, I, I don't really cross paths with him musically. Whereas with my mom, we have some similar tastes. So we always talked about music. She was the one who like bought me my first concert tickets when I was 12. She always encouraged me to like, Oh, you know, if you wait outside after the concert by the tour bus, they'll come out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you have, I mean, were you starstruck? Did you have like, oh my God, these people are having the most incredible lives, these these musicians on stage and Oh, absolutely. I was always like, oh my God. Like even from a young age, I was always like the most passionate fan. And I always wanted to meet all of these artists and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I I think about that a lot. Um I the first concert I ever went to was um this is dating myself uh, considerably, but was Andy Gibb, who was one of the brothers of of the tri- the trio that became the Bee Gees, and uh, oh wow, yeah, and Andy Gibb was sort of a standalone pop star, and I remember seeing him, and uh, I think the second concert I ever saw was Rod Stewart, and you know the the idea of be uh, seeing someone on stage or a group of people on stage with twenty thousand people cheering and going nuts about it was just so i don't know so seductive to me are you the kind of person that that do you like to be in the spotlight is that something that you you want in your career it's funny i think i'd rather almost i want it's funny because i want to be able to do this for a living but I'm not like a spotlight kind of person. It's funny. I actually grew up performing in many ways. Like I was always in school plays, but the bigger part of my life was ballet. Mm. I actually grew up since I was three performing in ballet performances. And I like, 
I just got used to that lifestyle. I would perform probably like six times a year, sometimes more, depending on like smaller performances mm-hmm. with like a pre-professional company. Like I danced on point and stuff. And I mean, I still do ballet now, but I think I realized as I was doing that, that being directly in the spotlight was so nerve wracking. Like when I had a solo or anything like that, I didn't enjoy that. What I enjoyed was being part of like the community and also just dancing artistic roles, Mm -hmm. like where I got to express myself. And I think that applies to my music. I really like expressing myself and I think that's why I do what I do. But if it lends itself to me eventually being in quote unquote the spotlight, I'm not going to run away from that because I know it's part of the experience, but it's not where I'm most comfortable. Mm. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I'm a drummer. So uh, in many respects, a drummer, unless you're someone, you know, who's, who's just your whole shtick is to be the flashy showman and you're standing up on your drum throne and spinning your sticks and starting fires on stage. You know, the drummer is in many respects, the, the invisible member of the band. And that was absolutely fine with me. You know, in fact, it was kind of part of my personal philosophy was to just sort of do no harm as a drummer and just sort of play well and maybe do something once in a while that might make a drummer in the audience go, Oh wow, this guy's got some, you know, he's got some chops, but not to, not to steal the spotlight. You know, I certainly enjoyed it, but it wasn't, it wasn't a drive of mine to be uh, the center of attention, you know, but it does mm-hmm. come with it. Uh, as you were saying, you know, you're saying like, as your career progresses, I mean, you're, you're a relatively young woman, you're making music, you're, you're, you know, you're certainly active on social media and you're, you're kind of beginning, you're at the, you're at the point where you're kind of on the runway here and getting ready to sort of see what happens. Um, so eventually, and I, I, I believe this, this will happen for you based on the music that you write, you know, you will Thank end you. up being, you're welcome. Um, you will end up being someone who, who finds herself on a stage with, with a lot of fans and, and loyal, you know, listeners and things like that. I'm, I, you already, you already do. I mean, you already have people who love your music. Yeah. And I so appreciate them. It's a very small community, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to grow it every day. Mm -hmm. And I think you mentioned being on the stage. I think if I, I think one day my goal is to be on the stage, but I want to be on the stage to connect with people individually and emotionally, not to be a performer in the traditional sense. Yes, like, I think that's, that's more what I strive to do. Yes. And that that's great. And it also comes through very clearly in your, in your music. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to talk about, you mentioned a couple things like you, you were, do, you, you were doing ballet and that was actually a big focus of your life uh, as a child. How did that come about? How did you end up doing that? Honestly, It was one of those subconscious things. It's funny. My mom told me that I actually danced in the womb. Like she was in a restaurant and there was music playing and I was just like dancing in there. It sounds weird, but apparently it happened. I just sort of, when I was little, 
I don't even remember why. I just, I don't even know if I had even seen a ballet. I just really wanted to dance and do ballet. And so my mom always encouraged creativity. So she just signed me up for a class. And then, whereas a lot of my friends back then gave it up after a few years, I just yeah, stuck with it because that's the type of person that I am. I have like, honestly, I'm a workaholic and ballet is a lot about that. It's a lot about discipline and hard work and perfectionism. And that just really appealed to me because that's my personality. So I stuck with it. Mm -hmm. and, and you're touching on a really, really important point, I think, which is that when you, when you, if you find yourself attracted to something that's in, in a sort of creative um, part of our universe, um, there, you could probably point to billions and billions of, of kids across the world who have at some point or another in their childhood dabbled in an instrument or a dance class or a, you know, a school play or something. And then they just, you know, they just moved on or they, they thought, well, this is, I, I hate practicing, so I'm not going to do this anymore. But it's the, it's the young um, people who, find some, some real special connection to it and commit themselves to continue to doing it that typically become very successful in, in, in that thing, you know? And uh, so that, you know, in some ways that kind of speaks to the, the, the point about what drives us. And it, it, it's clear that you have a, a pretty internal, a pretty strong internal drive mechanism, you know? Definitely. I'm someone who never does anything halfway. <laughs> I wish I could share. I wish I could say the same. I'm, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who absolutely loves what I do. I love to play the drums and things like that. But I, I am also not the kind of drummer who spent 10 hours a day in my basement practicing, you know, uh, and, and, and for better or worse, you know, um, but I, but I was good enough and, and had enough talent that I could, find myself in a situation where I was, where I became a working drummer and went on tour and things like that. Um, That's cool too, though. Cause you still yeah. like got to do what you loved regardless yeah. of how, how many hours of like labor you put into it. Cause sometimes it gets to be a lot because I am sure. such a perfectionist. So when I work on music, I have trouble stopping. Like I have trouble remembering to eat and stuff like that. Oh, like yeah. I'm, I'm someone who like throws myself completely into it and that's not always healthy. No, that there can be a huge downside to that. You know, um, you can lose time. I mean, literally you lose time and, and uh, sometimes you find yourself in a position where you're disconnected from people around you because you've become so focused on, you know, I mean, uh, to be a workaholic is, is, you know, not too dissimilar from having any other type of addiction. You know, you, you sometimes at certain points you lose control and, and, uh, and need to need to recalibrate or in some cases get therapy or help in order to, um, in order to sort of find a balance. So, so the dance thing, did you, um, do you, do you remember your first, uh, foray into going like to like your first dance practice. Did you, did you think to yourself, like, uh, did you say to your, to your mom or your parents, I want to take ballet or did they say, Hey, what about doing? Cause this happens all the time with kids. You know, the parents say, do you want to do soccer camp this summer? And they're like, sure. And you know, but did you actively say, this is something I really want to try? 
I believe I was three years old, so my memory's not the most clear yeah, yeah. here. I was just talking with a guest about that. Like, what at what point can you say that a memory that you have from that age is is real, or you just remember it because your parents told you about it? Yeah, I think my mom told me this, but I think I did specifically ask to take ballet. Mm-hmm. And and I can't remember how long you said you're still doing it. I still do ballet. I, my last performance was, what performance was it? December 2019, so like pre-COVID. Okay, so how many years does that make it for you that you've been doing ballet? 19 years. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I have to say, I mean, uh, a ballet, and I, I maybe I guess dance in general, but ball, ballet much more specifically seems to me like the kind of job or or profession or passion that you can't do forever because physically, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, I can only imagine some of the positions that you have to hold and and things like that are incredibly physically demanding that most people just simply cannot do. You'd be surprised. There are some people at the studio. I mean, the director of the studio, she's like in her 60s. There's another teacher in her 60s. Um, There's also, I believe there was someone who was like 78 who took classes for a while. Well, shut my mouth then. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking like by the time you're 30, you're you're considered over the hill or something in ballet. Well, but. that's somewhat true for professionals. Often dancers yeah, retire really quite early. About. Yeah, I was talking about prof- the professional aspect of it. Professionals are getting older, I believe. I mean, don't quote me on that. I believe that professionals are getting older, but usually they still have like a job and like they teach or choreograph once they're mm-hmm. done dancing. I don't think they're ever they're not done dancing until they're like really old, like in their 70s, probably. Yeah. Um, it, there comes a point where just like the physical capabilities are like so demanding mm-hmm. that I think they have to be in like tip top shape to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> athletics, you know, it's like the same thing with athletics uh, prof- on the professional level, you know. Um, I actually have a nephew. I have two nephews. They're twins uh, who are professional baseball players. And it's, um, you know, I I watched them grow up and watched them in the yard throwing baseballs back and forth for hours and hours and hours and hours a day. Uh, And and it is, uh, it is, it takes that level of commitment to, to get to that point. That's, that's Mm -hmm. rarefied air for you know, to get to that level. And and same goes for music and, and entertainment. Like when you, if you get to a level where you're really, you're really selling tickets and, and selling records and drawing lots of people, you're, you're in a, you're in like the, the, the top 1%, you know? So, okay. So we've, the, the ballet thing is one aspect of, of a way that you express yourself creatively. And do you play, I, I, I assume maybe you play an instrument as well as, as sing. You play mm-hmm. piano. Yep. Piano's my main instrument. It's funny. Growing up, I was the type of kid who wanted to try every instrument. If you want, I can like list all the ones I've go, done go throughout yeah, my life. It. Okay. So I started off, you know, the usual, like you learn an instrument in school. Mine was clarinet. So I played clarinet for quite a few years. But then when I was 10, I believe, actually, no, I was nine. 
When I was nine, I started taking piano lessons. When I was 10, I started taking guitar lessons. And around that time, my guitar teacher, who is like a creative genius and encouraged my creativity a lot and was like a big driving force and like what made me start writing songs is he saw that I had a drive to like do something other than just play. And he offered to teach me songwriting and music theory. So I actually took lessons with him doing that for a few years. And then I also, when I was probably in like middle school, I like randomly taught myself the flute on YouTube. Then I like brought a saxophone home for the summer. Then my guitar teacher gave me a bass to take home and I like learned bass guitar a little bit. What else? I believe. Oh, I when I was in high school, I learned the violin for like a few months. I never. So, you know how I said I don't do anything halfway. I think that doesn't apply to my instruments because I would often try an instrument just to have the experience and then be done with it. But the only one that I stuck with was piano. And I think what really made an impression on me was learning the theory and writing. Mm -hmm. Do you, would you consider yourself competent in any of those other instruments that you tried at this point? Competent? Like if you picked up a bass guitar or whatever. It would take me a little while to figure it out. I would probably be able to play something simple, mm-hmm. but not competent, like play, play. Yeah, yeah. Piano, yeah. yes. Guitar, slightly less, but somewhat. Mm-hmm. Do you ever write on guitar? No, I never do always actually. Piano, yeah. yeah, it's always piano. Yeah. Okay. So then this sort of fuels more questions. What, uh, when did you start taking piano lessons? When did you find yourself start singing? Or were you always singing from, from just as a kid, whatever, whatever, singing in the, in the shower or listening to music on the radio and singing along to it? To be honest, I will. Okay. First, I started taking piano lessons when I was nine. Um, and I stopped when I was about 14 or 15. And then I just played on my own from then on because I got sick of teachers telling me what to do, I guess. Like yeah. that sounds a little bit bratty. I don't mean it in no, that no, way. No, I, it, I, it's, it's something that happens all the time. Unfortunately. Yeah. I just always wanted to play my own stuff. Like for example, my piano teacher, I had two different piano teachers, but my piano teacher, when I was younger, she was always confused because I was more interested in like changing the sounds on her like electric piano than actually playing the song. Cause I I was like, Ooh, can I play it with an interesting sound? So I guess that's another thing is that my guitar teacher, when I was working on writing with him, he would encourage me to go home and produce the songs like in GarageBand. Mm -hmm. So I started doing production when I was about 10. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that opened up a whole new world for me. And I would say that that's where I feel most comfortable actually is like playing the piano and also like the production side of things. Um, I was singing my whole life, I would say. I think there's a video of me singing when I was like two and I like had memorized the entirety of a song and was just like singing it in a corner. I would like play and like sing stories to myself. I was always constantly singing. Um, When I started to like want to learn how to do it, I was probably about 14 
And I just remember looking up a lot of tutorials on YouTube and like just watching them and trying to replicate them. I remember I took a Skype vocal lesson like twice, but I, again, I just had had it at that point with lessons. And I was like, I just don't want to, I just want to sing. I don't want to like do exercises with a cork in my mouth. Oh God. <laughs> like, does not sound fun. No, it was like, it took away the, the fun and the beauty of it for me. I'm sure like, I'm sure lots of artists out there would be like, no, the exercises are so important. But to me, it just took away from feeling the music. And when I think about technicalities too much when I'm singing, that's when I give my worst performances. Yeah. I identify with you completely from the position of, of being a drummer, as I was saying before, like for me, Obviously, I sat and, uh, and and spent lots and lots of time on a practice pad doing single and double stroke rolls and other rudiments, and I still do it, but it's not my focus. You know, my focus is, and that you know, I I just want to play the drums because I love them and I love to be in a band setting. And to me, uh, skills like listening, you know, um, and and uh, in in my case, restraint, you know, and and um, being tasty and it's a, it's a little bit of a different story for you because you are, you are at the sort of center of gravity as a, as a singer and as a songwriter. And I am, I am really an accompanist. I'm as a drummer, I'm accompanying, um, whatever the music is. So for me, it's more about listening and it's less about the technical aspect of it and more about listening and being a, being a, a piece of the puzzle that fits together nicely, which actually leads to me to my next question. Do you ever, do you ever work with, uh, did you ever start a band at any point? Did you ever work with a group of, of musicians and, and, and do a project? No, it's interesting. I've always been a very solo person as far as how I work. Like I rarely collaborate with people. I collaborate with friends casually, usually to like, sometimes I'll, I'll sort of help friends in a way by if they have like something they need to express, like I'll help them write a song about it. But as far as writing my own music, it's always been a deeply personal thing. I would say if I had to name someone who I like collaborated with, one of my best friends in high school, actually probably my only best friend in high school, she encouraged me to sing a lot. I think that was definitely a turning point for me because she exposed me to a lot of new music. And she also, we spent a lot of time just like hanging out in practice rooms and I would sing for her because I felt comfortable with her. And she told me that I was actually like, she said back then that I actually sounded like decent. Mm -hmm. And I thought I had thought that I couldn't sing at all. Like I, I had thought for a long time, like, oh, I'm never going to be able to sing. But then she actually validated me. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to do it in private from then on. I wouldn't sing for anyone else, like not my parents, not really any other friends. Like it would be too nerve wracking for me to even play a recording. So I would just sing for hours in those practice rooms by myself, just working out all the cracks in my voice and mm-hmm. trying to improve as much as I could. And I didn't have any kind of project with her, but we did actually 
perform twice together at school. One time it was just me playing the piano with her singing. And one time was me singing with her, but I was not proud of that performance. Cause it was like the first time I had tried to sing in front of people. Yeah. And I, to be entirely honest, haven't done it since I'm not a performer. That's not my thing. I want to be one day. Yeah. But performing is not where I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable thinking about arrangements and sitting at the computer and at the keyboard and thinking about how I can express the dynamics of a song. And I use my voice as a vehicle to express the meaning of my song, but, or my songs, but I don't feel like I, I don't know. I want to I want to perform live one day to be able to bring the songs to life, but it always comes back to the songs. It never is about me performing with my voice. Yeah, and that's, you know, this is this is a little bit of inside baseball here, but you know, it, one of the one of the great challenges of performing, you know, if and when you eventually get to that point where you're like, okay, I need, I want to do a show. I want to get a crowd and, and, and perform these songs live is how you hear yourself. You know, like if you've obviously recorded music, you've, you've stood in a room with a microphone and a pair of headphones on your head and you've heard yourself very intimately and breathy and all of the wonderful, you know, this is something that people who listen to music all the time, and love music. Uh, if they haven't actually done any recording, they, this is not something they experience. But the sound of your voice or your instrument, you know, being captured by some great equipment—you know, a great microphone, a great um, uh, mic preamp, and some EQ and compression, and all those little—and a little reverb or delay—and uh, it, it it absolutely changes the way that you experience your art you know, what you're doing. And it also can reveal things that aren't very pleasant to you, you know, um, because you're like, oh, damn, I didn't know that I sounded, uh, you know, it's, it's can, can be a bit distressing sometimes. So I want to ask you a little bit, um, and this may or may not apply to you and that's fine, but I do want to ask you about the first time you recorded music. When was that? Okay. I think the first time, I produced something, if we're going back that far, I made what I thought was a remix at about 10 years old, which was just putting a bunch of effects on a song that already existed. Okay. Then taking a step up from there, I messed around in GarageBand and played with synths and was just using like the inbuilt synths. And I didn't even know how to change them or anything, but I just like made little arrangements. And then... Later, when I was in high school, at the time when I was writing a lot in practice rooms, I would record myself just using either the computer speaker or I would borrow a microphone from one of the teachers. Um, and I would just sit there recording myself for hours. And I think that's how my voice improved. That's like the number one piece of advice that I give to anyone who asks me about like learning how to sing is just record yourself. And yeah. if you have a really good sense of self and you're like, some people will record themselves and they'll be like, oh yeah, I sound awesome. Just right off the bat, I'm going to post a cover on YouTube. It's yeah. if you think you sound awesome from like the moment you start, then something's wrong there because 
you should probably hate the sound of your voice and you should work really hard to get it so you don't hate the sound of your voice. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was in my my entire life until I started working in music and being involved. Um, well, I shouldn't say until I until I started actually being involved in the process of recording and and hearing my own voice. Uh, you know, I was either not conscious at all, or I hated the sound of my own voice as I heard it in my head. You know, that's one of those strange things. You know, you're walking around, you're having conversations with people, you're hearing your voice in your head. That's it. But when you record your voice, you're like, oh man, that that's what I sound like. I didn't, I did not know that at all. And and some of us do, including me, I had to overcome not liking the sound of my voice being recorded either. You know, I was like, oh, this is, I, I don't like it, you know? Um, but I did get over it. And and that's important. You kind of have to, if, if this is what you're going to do, you know? Sure. It is jarring. It is a jarring experience after, after years and sometimes decades of other people hearing your voice, but you not, you know, your only reference point is how it sounds sort of rattling around in your head, in your head. And then you, and then you get in front of a microphone and you hear it back. It, it can be jarring. Definitely. Yeah. Did you, so clearly you, you know, I mean, you're working in GarageBand. Um, what, have you moved on to another digital audio workstation at this point, or are you still doing a lot, most of your work in GarageBand? No, I, I've moved on to Logic Pro. I moved probably okay. like end of high school into that. Okay. Which is very intuitive to make the switch if you're used to GarageBand. I mean, GarageBand is a really good starting point, but Logic is obviously like p- professional. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I I started I started recording with again this dates myself considerably, but I started recording with ADAT machines, uh, mm-hmm. w- you know, which was this sort of revolutionary technology at the time, anyway. You know, where you're recording on uh, these what what were effectively VHS tapes. Um, and then I switched to, I uh, was working with a friend of mine on an album and, and uh, he, he used Cubase, which is another digital audio workstation. And then eventually I, I switched to Pro Tools. And I mean, a lot of these are the same. Now I'm using Luna, uh, the U- Universal Audio Digital Audio Workstation. A lot of them are, same, are the same, but I, you know, I certainly would say to anyone who's listening who wants to record themselves to, as you said, to find an intuitive bit of software because some of them are needlessly complicated and, and, and in, to have something that's intuitive and easy to use and easy to edit and things like that is so important. If you want to get over that initial frustrating learning curve, definitely um, continue to do it. So are you program? I mean, you are program. What am I saying? You are programming. Um, you you said you were using, um, you know, the synths and, and things like that. Are you, is every sound that I'm hearing and people will hear when they listen to their, to your music, is every sound that I'm hearing produced by you, performed and produced by you? Um, most of them are, but I actually have a friend who does co-production and mixing. Like I'll send him my projects and then he goes in and he'll add stuff like guitar because he's a good guitar player Mm -hmm. and he'll add some like atmospheric elements, like where he thinks it needs it. And then he'll do like mixing too. Mm -hmm. So I do most of the initial sounds though. Okay. And, and that's great. I mean, I think you have um, you have a level of creative control that certainly, if you're in a in a five piece band or even a trio, every individual uh, player in a group setting like that, whether they want to or not, does have to yield some 
some level of creative control. And uh, so I, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting thing always to talk to someone who is a, effectively a solo performer um, because you haven't had to make the kinds of sacrifices. You know, it's, it, you can remain absolutely pure to your art and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, take, you know, very good care of, of keeping that pure. Yeah, for sure. And I think it does at a certain point help to have a second set of ears Absolutely, because I focus, like I said, I focus so intently that I think it's good that I do have a second set of ears listening and giving input. Yes. Having a producer, the right producer is, is a wonderful thing. No question about it. You know, I've, I've worked with producers that they they seem to think their only function was to make sure everybody was in tune and that we were playing in time and and, and that was that was the extent of their interest in in producing and oh. then i've worked with producers who are uh, extremely skilled arrangers um you know were 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 so good at what they did that they were able to get us to perform at the next level to to get a get a performance out of this us that was way better than anything we'd ever done that's so, cool you know, and of course, as you said, an exec, uh, a, a relatively objective set of years that can sort of step in and, and in some cases talk you off the ledge. Uh, you know, if you've gone down a rabbit hole too far or something. And um, so I, I, I'm a huge advocate for, for producers being involved in music. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do want to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, kind of what you're what you're doing now uh and and having this um having released singles having released music made it available for for public consumption and which is you know as i said at the outset how i how i found you and 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 really loved what you do thank you yeah um absolutely i i want to i do want to talk to you a little bit about something you've been really open um as far as i could as far as I can tell on your, on your social media and certainly in your music sort of um, woven into your music is your personal life experiences and your personal mm-hmm. struggles. Um, can you talk a little, a bit about that? Like your maybe things that happened during your childhood or even now that, that have, you know, shaped you and deeply affected you and, and how that becomes a part of your music. Yeah, I think starting at sort of the beginning, I think when I moved to New Hampshire when I was like six years old, I think that was the first time I remember I was like, wait, I'm not accepted here. Like I I was able to make yeah. some friends, but it was never easy. Mm-hmm. I always I felt like I had to not be myself. Like I remember this is like a weird, like personal thing, but I remember I loved like wearing dresses when I was six and I remember going into school and someone said to me, why do you wear dresses all the time? That makes you a girly girl. And it was just like that. That was a small little thing, but Sometimes I I think gigantic. Yeah. My six year old self from then on was like, wait, I have to be on my guard. Like these people are going to judge me for everything I do. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that continued throughout my life, like probably until I was honestly until college, even in college, though, um, I was bullied like pretty badly at like two different times in my life. One was when I was 
about 10 and one was when I was about 12. And I never understood why, because I was always the person who was nice to people. And I was just trying to have friends and I never did anything that merited them to be mean and exclusive, but yeah, of course not. It got to a point where I was so unhappy, but the thing was, it was sort of a psycho manipulation and you wouldn't think that 10 year olds would be capable of this or even 12 year olds or 14 year olds or whatever. I was literally manipulated to feel like everything I said and did was wrong to the point where I just had this like crippling anxiety about being in the world and interacting with these people because I was judged for everything. I was put down for everything. And I was like, I don't know. It's like hard, hard to describe without like going into specifics, but it was a very tough time for me. And I've just always felt like an outsider. I've never felt like making friends was easy. I've never felt like interacting was easy. I've, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. I know. I, I mean, I can identify with you completely, and I'm 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 positive that uh, many listeners to this podcast identify. You know, it's it's when when you said that it's a little thing that you know you were wearing dresses and people were judging you. You know, those little things in and of themselves can be can be life altering events. And if, if one specific occasion is not enough to alter the course of your life, several of them are. You know, when you started talking, when you started sharing about that particular moment of going into school, you liked to wear, you're, you're a kid, you know, this is what you like to do. And then you're getting this crazy, you know, being, being judged. And immediately yeah. in my brain, a dozen of those experiences that I had personally just just immediately burst into into my brain, and, mm-hmm. and that, that what you're talking about are traumas. You know that it's it, that's what it is. It's it's a traumatic event. Yeah, I mean, and if I you're think still thinking about something. I'm 48 years old. I still think about things that happened to me when I was eight years old. Yeah, the, I think the, the bad stuff. The dress thing seems very trivial that I used that as an example because I was like sort of the first time the things after that were not so trivial. Yeah, Um, I was in I like I just feel like I was in a very oppressive environment where everyone was on one side and I was on the other. Yeah, I just I don't hmm. this is this is hard to describe, but basically I just couldn't be myself. And that was extremely hard because I'm someone who loves expressing myself. And I also was constantly confused. I always felt very innocent. I remember, and it's interesting, there's a lyric in one of my new songs from my EP called Deep End, called Tunnels. And the lyric goes, it's an inside joke with myself. And that lyric is directly taken from all of the social anxiety that I experienced because one of the things that I remember when people were bullying me was the phrase inside joke. Like I would ask them what they were talking about and it was clearly about me and they would be like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's just an inside joke. Mm -hmm. 
And that would always crush my soul because they would use that as a justification for what they were doing, which was really, I don't know why it gave them some sort of gratification to make me feel bad, but it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think really something that we're, that we're, we're beginning to really get to is people can be unspeakably cruel. And I, I tend to, I tend to be, um, I tend to have the worldview that, that that most people are generally good, but you know I don't see the world as a scary and dangerous place. That's just not I, that's not how I live. I don't live in fear, and you know. But some people can be astoundingly cruel, even kids, and 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 you know, especially when you get into junior high school and high school. You know, I never I never went I I, I whatever th- three. Uh, three 10 year anniversaries have passed since I graduated from high school and I never went to any of them. You know, that, that, that place was an absolute viper's nest. I relate. (laughs) I didn't even talk about high school. High school was another thing. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get there. And and I, I I absolutely want to hear what that experience was like for you, but, and I don't mean anything. I mean, I, I made genuine friends in high school. Um, I keep in touch with about three of them. Uh, and I have no resentment or ill will or anything. It's just, it's a time in my life that was not fun at all. And, uh, there were a lot of really, really kind of heartless, uh, people that I interacted with that I just don't really care to interact with anymore. You know, I just don't need that at all. It's just not something I care about anymore. So tell me about your high school experience. I went to a high school that was extremely sports focused. There were amazing arts teachers there. Mm-hmm. But if you were an arts kid, you were literally an outsider. I remember I was never called this personally, but I remember someone telling me that other people called the arts kids creatures. That's how Jesus. much of an outcast the arts kids were. Yeah. And the irony is, even when I was in with the quote unquote artsy kids, they bullied me too. So high school was a very traumatic experience too. It's interesting. I think groups are dangerous because there will be one person who decides that someone else is not worthy of their attention or their respect or even just a friendly conversation. And they have somehow the power and I've never had this kind of power to influence other people. And I would never understand this, but there are certain people out there who have a way of influencing others to gang up on other people. And that's a big thing that I experienced a lot. And my high school, yeah, my high school also had a lot of people that I just didn't understand their lifestyle and they didn't understand my lifestyle it was like a foreign world where I didn't even understand what they were saying half the time because it was just weird inside jokes and like things that didn't make sense to me. And I felt like I was, I think, and going back to my song tunnels, because this talks a lot about that. There was an analogy occurred to me one day when, when I wrote that song and I was thinking back on my high school experience specifically I thought about it in a different way where it was like there were tunnels underneath the ground that all of these people were like meeting in and talking in 
but I couldn't get to them because it was like this inside exclusive thing. And like I said, even when I found the people that should have been my people, they were talking and meeting in those tunnels too. I was never invited. I was never, I would reach out and be rejected constantly. And I don't, it made me, it manipulated me to feel like I should care so much that it, it really hurt to care that much constantly. I just constantly needed that validation from other people and I would never get it. And I think it was a turning point for me to realize that these are not my people and the places where I would find my people would always relate to music. And whether it be a concert, whether it be online, I can't, I, I don't even know what to, I mean, I, I, the, the, the profound level of identification I have with you about this, you know, um, the tunnels, the, the tunnels sort of metaphor. It, it, it's, I, I can't imagine a single person who's listening to this episode who doesn't know what that means. And, and at least who's been through high school, you know, I mean, that is a beautiful way to describe what, what that experience is like, you know, um, and I share so much in common with you about that. I think you and I are both, as most creatives are, very sensitive. You know that we we understand the world differently than a lot of people. And I was sensitive enough and acutely aware enough at a certain point in high school. I would say by tenth grade. You know, I when I was a freshman, I was like, oh, I can't wait. I want to go to all the parties. I want to be part of the popular clique. I want to da 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 da. And in our case, quite literally, we you know we didn't have a tunnel. We had a corner of one area in the high school where the pop the most popular clique in the school hung out. And I I knew the feeling of rejection and and all of that. Um, walking by and knowing just knowing that I could not even walk up to those people and say hi because they would either outright cruelly reject me or just simply pretend I wasn't there. And Mm -hmm. I so desperately wanted to be a part of that. But by the time I got to 10th grade, I was like, I don't care anymore. I was aware enough to know that my high school years were absolutely not going to be even remotely the most important years of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and strangely enough, what ended up happening was as soon as I stopped caring and I, I sort of organically met my people, as you say, like some friends that became dear friends that I still talk to, I, I became more popular. I became a part of a clique that I really, at, at, a, at, at, at a certain point, didn't even care to, didn't even want to belong to. But all of a sudden, I was at the parties and I was hanging out with people that were sort of the creme de la creme of, of, of the school. But I walked away from high school like, thank God that is over. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure many people do. Uh, you know, honestly, it was, it was a terrible, it was really a terrible ex- experience. And, and getting a bullying, there were some big dumb meathead jocks in my school who bullied me sometimes. And I just never understood it. You know, I just don't, that, that is not in my DNA. Me neither. Yes. I'm sure it's not in yours. You know what I've never understood is how some people choose their friends. I've never been able to choose my friends and choose, not only choose their friends, but choose who they're going to completely reject and, yeah. put down. I've never 
felt like, like, that's just not in me to make the choice. Like there has to be a conscious choice in their mind. Like, oh, I'm not going to let that person be a part of this. They don't deserve it. There's something in them that is just, and maybe they're not cruel people deep down. Maybe it's out of insecurity. Maybe it's out of jealousy, but there's something in them that tells them to make other people feel like basically ruin someone else's life. And I've never understood that. Yes. Well, I, you know, you're getting at something and I'm glad that you said it because I I was thinking to myself after I I was talking for a bit that maybe I was being a little too one dimensional or, or, or something about these, these people who, who can be so cruel. Uh, You know, I've, I've been in therapy. Uh, I've suffered from depression and anxiety. I'm in recovery you know, um, so I've, I've gotten a lot of help. And, uh, and, and one thing, certainly being in recovery that you begin to understand is that, you know, everyone has their baggage, everyone has their problems. And sometimes they manifest themselves in very, very cruel ways that so they can be vicious and horrible and, and hurtful. And uh, so I'm, I certainly am not suggesting that the, the, you know, the big jock that, that uh, liked to slap me in the hallway Oh, was, God. was simply just a, a you know a villain that you would find in some you know teenage movie somewhere. Mm-hmm. He was a real person, and God knows what kind of life he had. Um, but it doesn't that doesn't excuse it. You know, right. it just doesn't. People, you know, people who who act like that, like at some point, you just hope and pray that they find their own level of accountability for what they do, and 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 understand that these are not normal behaviors and that maybe they should seek some help and try and work that out, whether it's anger issues or whatever. Yeah. And I think physical violence is really bad and hurtful in a different way than like a psychological manipulative thing, because it almost would have been easier for me if it had just been like, Oh, a slap in the face. I don't like you, but it was never like that. It was like, Oh, hi. It was always like so sweet. And then stab me in the back, Mm, you know? Yeah. Sure. And you're right about the gatekeeper aspect of it. The, you know, we, our school was, was, you know, uh, comprised several cliques, you know, we had the jocks, we had the stoners, you know, we had the, the nerds and um, it, it's very much like a movie that I, I don't know if you've seen, but a movie called the breakfast club, which came out in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. It, it really I've seen sort of, it. Yeah, of course. I, I in fact, I would, I was thinking this would be a movie for you to see if you hadn't, but uh-huh. So you know what I mean. There, there's just these people and they they gravitate to certain... There's a certain tribal aspect of it. And I have to say, you can very easily extrapolate out from any single high school in America and, and get a sense of what America, broadly speaking, looks like in terms of people's tribes and their own sort of, you know, colloquial thinking. And um, But I think for me... I realized very early on, actually, sometimes through firsthand experience and then also just from my own thinking about it, that the people who were sort of bullying me in high school or were attempting to ostracize me from a particular clique are the same people who now, when they're you know 48 years old, look back and think that high school was the best time of their lives. Yep. And then they usually don't progress past that. Yeah. They're still living in that, you know, in that, oh, remember when I was captain of the football team or remember I was prom king, you know. I'm sure uh, there are exceptions where someone like that goes on to do good things, but of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, 
but still at the same time, it's, it's, it's sort of, as I was saying earlier, I, I, that was just, I'm not, I don't look back much. Uh, you know, I, I do believe very much that life is an unfolding adventure and every day is a new experience and a new opportunity. And I try uh, very hard. I've, I've spent a lot of years working on this through therapy and, and reading and all sorts of other things you, you do to live in the day. You know, is is and that brings me to an actually another question I have for you. Is that something that that you can do? Is that something that you that you try to work on? Because you know, people, I suffer from from both things. I suffer from depression and anxiety. It's it, you know, I manage it much better now. But you know, to me, depression is 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 looking backward. And over the course of your life um, and feeling like you haven't amounted to much and, you know, and there's a lot of aspects of, of depression that, that at least for me personally, that, that, you know, that, that describes and anxiety is mostly about looking forward. And I, I realized that I, I really needed, and, and, and the culmination of all that is that you don't, you're really not living in the moment. You know, you're either thinking about the past or you're worrying about the future. And it, it, you know, it takes a lot of effort to get to a place where you're living in the moment. Is that is that something that you that you do that you work on or, or want to work on? I definitely relate to that. My struggles have centered around anxiety mostly. So worrying about the future is something that I do all the time. I mean, we can't even scrape the surface of anxiety in this conversation, but. Yeah. I definitely am working on it. I still, even right now, am struggling with anxiety, but I try to turn it into something productive. I think writing music helps a lot. I think that's that's something that's always helped me. It's almost given me a reason for those things happening to me. Like I've had a lot of different traumas throughout my life. And I would say to myself, okay, like I would be feeling bad about it. And I'm like, if I can turn this into something beautiful, then maybe it was worth it. That's something that I consciously say to myself all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what gets me through it is seeing that vision of that art that will express that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Um, Have you read the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle? I haven't. Okay. I would recommend it to you and I would certainly recommend it to anybody who's listening who's dealt with depression, anxiety, and fear. and uh, that, that sort of utter inability to enjoy the moment that you're actually in. Um, and I'm not a self-help book guy. Someone, someone handed it to me and said, check this out. And I was like, well. And I started reading it and I realized that what he was saying was something that I had thought about deeply for many, 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 many years. And, and that is that um, the v- vast majority of, of human beings, myself included, until I, f- I had a moment of awareness, are deeply unconscious. You know, that meaning they're awake, they're getting in their car and driving to work and coming home and, and, and talking to their families and having dinner and, and, and living and paying bills and going shopping. But while they're doing that, they're deeply unconscious, meaning they're, they're just not aware of the present moment that they're in. Their minds are drawn to other places and, and all constantly, just absolutely. Con- I mean, I, I, I could give a homework assignment to everyone who's listening right now. Sit on the couch, put your phone down 
and just sit quietly for a full minute and then tell me if you don't have thoughts that just burst into your brain that, that are demanding your attention. Thoughts about the past, thoughts about the future, thoughts about things you need to do. And I think he talks about it and I've lived it. And I think even the people who are the most deeply unconscious on the planet have felt it. The moment when you're, you go for a hike and you're standing on top of a mountain uh, and the breeze is hitting you. The moment that you look up at a, 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 a moonless sky without too much light pollution and you see the absolute awe-inspiring vastness of, of the universe and that you can see the Milky Way or you're, the, your child, you're, you're there for the birth of your child. Those moments are moments that you forget about everything else that's going on. And you're in, you are in that moment. And to me, that is like the absolute pure joy of existence right there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I, I, I'm sure you've had experiences like that. Where, yeah, where, you I know, think. It, however briefly you, you have that moment where you're like, holy cow, you hear everything and it, it's crisp and you smell and you see and you feel and it's all right there happening in the immediate moment you're in. I think it's definitely something, I mean, I've been trying to connect more with nature lately, but I think something that did that for me in the past was concerts because mm. it's a really powerful thing. It's amazing for me to hear that some people haven't had the privilege to be able to go to a concert. And I feel very privileged that I have been able to go to so many, um, and that's actually what I wrote my song Soak about, which is also from the EP. I wrote it about that feeling of, wait, I feel in the moment here and I feel accepted here. And I feel like I can be myself here. And that's a pretty inspiring thing because there are very few places where I felt that. And being at a concert, one in particular, was a place where I felt completely accepted. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you know, you've touched on something that, you know, because my brain was, was sort of formulating thoughts as I was speaking that I didn't mention, which is gigantic, which is music. You know, music is like one of the absolute epicenters for, for that feeling of, of, of being in the moment and, 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 and experiencing unadulterated joy. Uh, or 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 pain or grief or whatever it is because you know clearly music can music does make me cry sometimes i can't there are times i've lived through experiences that are so difficult for me that i can't listen to music at all i just can't because it's just too painful mm -hmm. and that's that that speaks to the power of music you know but you're right for for an audience member who's at a concert or an intimate setting of, of seeing a musician play. And they are so caught up in the beauty of what's happening. They are living in the moment at that time. And, and certainly as a performer, we have those experiences. Mm -hmm. you know, a, a friend of mine refers to it as the, the elation, the moment of elation, where you just, it just, it's just coursing through you. Yeah. And, and your soul is, is growing. You know, your soul mm -hmm. is sort of expanding in that moment. And that that's wonderful. It, it's one of the many, many reasons why music is my life and my passion. I totally relate to that. Yeah. And I can see that in you. I can hear that in your music. I can sense that tr through conversation with you, you know, that you, you, that's just a part of your, who you are. For sure. And that makes you a special person. That makes you someone who oh. has... Yeah, I'm not just I'm not just being flattering here. That's something that that means that you have something really important to give to the world. 
Well, thank you. You're welcome. So, I, you know, I, as we get sort of to the end of this conversation here, I, which, which by the way, I've, I've enjoyed immensely and, um, and I hope the listeners do too. Um, where, are, where are you now? You know, uh, we, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, you, where, you, where you are right now in terms of like kind of gauging what your plan is and, and, and whether and what to do moving forward. And you, you're making music, and you're 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 making it available to pe- for people to listen to on on Spotify and, and other places, and you, you're you're putting yourself out there. So, and you are you know you're you are an a, an artist who's at the beginning of their career, whatever they want that career to look like. So, in your mind, what 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 are your next steps? So, as of right now, when we're recording this, I'm in the stages of planning to release the EP I mentioned called Deep End. And when you hear this, the EP will be out. So that's exciting. So it's a lot of planning and a lot of planning for what happens after the release too, because I'm always creating content for people that I love to create content that talks about like the meanings behind the songs and stuff like that. And I'm also working on new music at the same time. So that's a very all-consuming experience for me. So I'm just diving right into the next music, mm-hmm. which is great. You you seem like a like a very prolific um, writer, and as you said, a workaholic and someone who doesn't do things halfway. So mm-hmm. you know, I I just want to I just want to emphasize again that you know this is this is something that just happens sometimes. You know, you're sort of flipping through Instagram or something and or wherever you are and you stumble across something. It's not something that someone recommends to you. It's not something that you, has been advertised in your face. You just find something in a, in a way that just happens to, to, to develop that way. And I, I clicked on your page and I listened to your music and I was like, holy cow, this is, a, this is fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, really. I mean, Music does have, as I was saying, it has the ability to produce a measurable joy. But, you know, sometimes the music listening experience can be emotional and powerful in other ways besides happiness. Sometimes it could sort of just produce feelings of sadness and uh, or, or, or uh, identification. And when I listened to your music, that's what happened. I identified and I felt it um, viscerally, you know, deeply. And I can't wait for people who are listening to, to, to experience the same thing, you know. So I, I, so I hope that they will all go to... Uh, you know, to your pages, to Alunia Music on Instagram and, and and go to your Facebook page at Alunia and go to Twitter at Alunia Music and go to Spotify at Alunia, uh, especially Spotify to hear your music. And, you know, the great thing is, is you're right, when this airs, um, it'll be just a little while after the release of your, of your new EP. So um, we'll be able to sort of direct as many people as humanly possible to listen to not just your your music that's already out there, but the, the music that you're just recording or just releasing now. Kind of mm-hmm. be, you know. Yeah, and I appreciate that so much. So thank you. Um, I love hearing from people. Like if my music happens to resonate with you, like don't hesitate to reach out because I love having those conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I actually have several going right now like I think a lot of musicians like take a step back but I'm willing to like discuss things with people because I think that heightens the connection to music and I some of the best experiences have been when I've had those conversations with artists that I listen to so yeah 
you just in a way you've just you've just articulated the the reason that this podcast exists you know the conversations with creative people mm-hmm. you know it's 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 fascinating to me uh, on a level that is kind of indescribable and I, I really i hope that's captured in in these episodes that that people are listening to that they they get that sense of of wonder and you know, it's curiosity and just wanting to know more and it, more beyond just listening to music, you know, just really hearing from the creative people who behind it and on a, on a deeper level than, you know, how, how was your day? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I appreciate these questions. I think from your questions that sort of elicits a response that leads to a deeper conversation about what it means to be a creative. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and I have to tell you that, it's one of my favorite things in the world it, to, 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 to have a conversation with an interesting and fascinating human being um, who has a creative mind and is sensitive and, um, because the conversations sometimes go places that are enti- often go places that are entirely unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know what? I have a friend. I'll say this sort of as we get to the end. I have a, a friend and, and, and a musical cohort. Um, his name's Tom Perosi. He's the bass player for my band, Ominous Seapods. And, and, and we're obviously, the, the relationship between a drummer and a bass player is very special. And, you, and if you're a drummer, you know, my message to you is listen to your bass player. Um, <laughs> and we were out one night. We had been, you know, we had done a show or something and everybody was drinking and you know, there was lots of stuff going down, um, illicit things going down. And, and, and it was very late, 4.30 in the morning or something. And, and he and I, Tom and I took a walk and we ended up at this, uh, this walking down the street. And I, there, there was a place we were thinking about going down and it had a dead end sign. And I, and I said, oh, maybe we shouldn't go down that road. It's got a dead end sign. And he said, no, 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 let's go. And so we walked down, we got to the dead end and it, it happened to be on a, on a sort of rise on, on, on a very big hilltop overlooking the city and we just sat down in the grass with this extraordinary view and and then the sun came up and we just sat there and watched this absolutely uh, just incredible sunrise and and tom looked at me and said you know never underestimate the value of a dead end (laughs) you're right oh my god you're right you know that's true um sometimes you think you're getting to a place where you're you're blocked or, or there's no value in going down that road, but it sometimes it turns out to be one of the best things you could ever do. Yeah. I definitely feel that I think, and I'm actually someone who I definitely believe in fate. And I think that the universe, if the universe like closes a door on you, then it's telling you to go in a different direction. Yes. And I think a lot of that comes with time and wisdom, although you're obviously uh, wise beyond your years. There's no question about oh, when thanks. I was 22, I did not, you know, when I was 22, I was, you know, whatever I was, I, I just, just sort of beginning my career as a touring musician. I, there's no question. I had a, a level of awareness that was not, not typical, but I was still trying to figure out who I was, you know, but mm-hmm. um, you, you certainly have a level of awareness. That's, that that's very deep and, 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 um, and special, but, and that goes right back to the high school thing too, in many ways, the conformity, the pressure to conform mm-hmm. and and to cast out individuals who don't conform. Yeah, that's a huge thing. That's a huge theme on the EP that I will have released when this goes live is mm-hmm. conformity and like oh great. Yeah, discovering my own individuality through those experiences. Yeah. Can you imagine how much better a world we would live in if 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 people could break out of their 
conditioning and their, the boxes that they're, they're sort of trapped in and really begin to fully explore who they are. On a, it would on a be real amazing level, on a real and meaningful level. Yeah, know? I honestly, I dare everyone listening to this to go explore who you are on a on a deep level. I agree with you, and it's scary. It can be scary. I I get it. You know, some people just don't want to go there. This is the greatest thing in the ever. This is a planet that is beautiful in a way that is almost incomprehensible with vast topographical variation and, 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 and beautiful fresh air to breathe and waterfalls and birds chirping and clouds in the sky and, and, and culture and food and all of those things. And I just, I think to myself as someone who at least at a certain point in my early life didn't understand that, if you don't ever come to a place where you don't understand that, what are you going to be thinking about when you're, when you're at the end of your life? I think mm-hmm. there'll be a lot of regret about that when you get to that point. If you don't do what you're saying, if you don't do some self-discovery. And I think it you have to escape peer pressure. Yes. That's one of the biggest things. Because there are so many people who are going to pressure you to do what everyone else is doing. Yes. Yes, and you were you were right when you were you know, when you were talking about not liking groups or 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 thinking that groups can be dangerous. I mean, do you need to, do, do I need to offer any supporting evidence that that's true? I don't think I do. You know, groups groups and group think have led to the most cataclysmic wars in in human history. Have led to authoritarian movements. Have led to genocide. Groups yeah. groups can be dangerous. I don't know. Like it's these people fall into cycles and then they bring their kids up to think the same thing. Like there's, this is all that life is when there's actually so much more. I agree completely. And I I just, I want to make the clear distinction between groups and say, for example, family, I'm talking about, uh, you know, collections of like-minded people who are gravitating to a group simply to reinforce their worldview, to, to validate their worldview. To, to sort of bathe in the, in the comfort of, of, of that warm feeling of people reaffirming what you think. Mm-hmm. And, and you just sort of live in that, in that bubble, surrounded by people that serve no function to you other than to confirm that what you believe is, is true and right. I, 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 think, I think what's really interesting and about this conversation, and you are an immensely fascinating person, and, and, and <laughs> uh, I had a, obviously I had an instinct when I reached out to you, uh, and that has proven to, to be true, which is that you, you are a deep thinker, that you, are, you have a, a philosopher's mind in many ways, and you've, but you're also an incredibly creative person who's, who's harnessed your life experiences, which undoubtedly some of them were terribly traumatic as we discussed in a creative way, in a way that you can express yourself and, mm-hmm. and people can hear it and they can identify, you know, I think some people listen to music and I do too. You, you listen to music because it sounds good and it's hook, hooky and catchy and, and the lyrics are cute and everything. But then there's music that you listen to that you re- that sometimes you just need to. And, and, and on, on many levels, you make that kind of music, you make the kind of music that people need to hear. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're you're very welcome. Um, so I, I I want to thank you again, and 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 just getting back to the point I was trying to make uh, just a few seconds ago, is that this conversation has proven to be um, not just fascinating, but but 
it's 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 surprisingly wonderfully surprising that that we can we can talk about your music and talk about your life and talk about the things that sort of in, drove you and inspire you to create and then we can also talk about groupthink yeah <laughs> you know? it just happens and and that yeah. is what to me and obviously i'm staking this entire podcast on the hope that listeners agree you know that to me this is what makes a conversation magical and 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 that you that you want to be a part of so i uh, thank hopefully. you hopefully <laughs> yeah yeah fingers crossed and so I, I thank you so much for your time and i thank you for your 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 music and i hope people will go and listen and uh, i'm sure that there will be people who already know you and love you listening but for all the people who are hearing you about you for the first time i really hope you'll take the time to listen to the the music that Aluni is making Thank, so thank you. you so much. Yeah, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot too. It was really insightful. Thank you. And I I I agree. I same for you, you know. Uh so Thanks. thank you. I I'm, I appreciate it very much. Okay. Yeah, of so, course. All right. So I'll see you I'll see you around, okay? Take care. Yeah. You too. When I need acknowledging You're the realest thing I've ever had Yet you don't belong to me So I will tread carefully So I don't lose everything You could be my platform the spitting image of everything I'm looking for So help me to put it on The spitting image of everything I'll ever want All my dreams have reached the melting point But you're hidden
Yeah.